Almighty. <laughs> well, uh, is there any uh, is there any Bucks fans in here? Any Bucks fans? It's a sad day for us. It's a sad day for us. I woke up this morning, I saw the news, and I was sad. But hey, it's a new day. It's a new day. We're gonna be okay. But hey, let me ask you guys a, a question. Have you ever had a heated debate with one of your friends? An argument of sorts, okay? Have you ever had a, a heated debate? Maybe it lasted for a couple hours or maybe even a, a few days or weeks. Every time you see him at lunch or at your club or, man, at your, uh, your baseball team or your sports team, you have this heated debate. Well, I want to ask a, a couple questions that maybe some of you guys have talked about before. And uh, I, I know I'm going to get some, some hate on this, but I have some opinions on these. And hey, I'm right. So it doesn't matter what you guys think, okay? First question, is Bucky's overrated? I'm getting a lot of mixed answers. Well, for those of you who don't know what Bucky's is... For those of you who don't know what Bucky's is, Bucky's is a gas station right off 75. And so for us Floridians, if we take 75 North all the way up, we're going to hit Bucky's. All right, and it's this massive, massive gas station. And so I start thinking, and I've been to it a couple times, and I just, I don't know. I just, I just don't, see the, uh, I don't see the hype in it. I don't see the hype in it. A gas station. A gas station is supposed to uh, is meant for this. That you go and stop, uh, maybe five ten minutes. You know, stretch your legs, get a snack, get some gas, and then you're gone. Well, if you stop at Bucky's, you're there for twenty or thirty minutes, which is just not my style. I'm I'm I want to get to where I'm going. So Bucky's is overrated. And if you think no. That's too bad, because I'm right. All right, next question. Who has the best chicken sandwich on the market? <laughs> There's only one right answer. And that is Chick-fil-A. Come on. That's the only right answer is Chick-fil-A. It, it doesn't matter if you think Popeye's or McDonald's or Zaxby's. It doesn't matter, okay? It is Chick-fil-A. It will always be Chick-fil-A. Okay, that's the only right answer. Last one. Last one. Disney or Nickelodeon? Okay, you guys are pretty smart. You guys are pretty smart. Yes, correct. The answer is Disney. That's the right answer. There's a lot of good Nickelodeon shows, but Disney is by far, Disney is by far superior. Amen. It's movies, it shows, it stands unmatched. Okay, so those are just a few talks that maybe you have had with your friends. And we all have things that we think that we're right on. And our opinion of those things isn't changing no matter what other people say or try to argue. Well, tonight we are in our th uh, uh, week three of our teaching series, No Offense. And over the next couple weeks, we are talking about what it means to live 
with no offense. Specifically in a culture that is extremely angry and easily offended. Morgan mentioned about those people last week, but tonight we're going to be talking about that guy. We're talking about that, that guy tonight. And, and we all know that one guy who thinks he's always right and he knows everything. That when you get in a debate or an argument, man, he'll argue with you for hours. Right? We all know that guy who walks around like he's God's greatest gift to earth. Right? We all know that guy. But sometimes, us as believers, we do the same thing with pointing out people's sin. That we always think we're right. And when we come and we, we, we hold someone accountable, that, man, we think that, that we're right and they're wrong. But Jesus, he didn't call us to be right all the time. He called us to be loving. All right, so tonight we're going to be in John 8. John 8, starting in verse 2. We're going to be kind of looking at a story similar to, to what we were talking about, about those guys or that guy. So starting in verse 2, it says, At dawn he went to the temple again. And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this question to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Okay, and it's important to know, I want to give you guys a, a kind of a, a backstory, a back context of what's happening here. And so it's, a, it's important to know the danger Jesus faced staying in Jerusalem. The religious leaders wanted Jesus to be arrested and silenced for what he was doing. But instead, Jesus stayed and preached boldly in one of the most public places in Jerusalem, the temple. So what's going on is the Pharisees are not happy with Jesus. They don't want him preaching. They don't want him spreading the gospel. They don't want any of this happening. They want him to be silenced and thrown in prison. So Jesus, instead of cowering down, man, he's preaching boldly. He's preaching boldly in the temple, and this is not making the religious leaders happy. So the Pharisees, they, they thought of a plan to try to embarrass Jesus and this woman. They brought, her to the, they brought her to Jesus at the temple so everyone could see, and they wanted to make this as public as possible. So Jesus, he's preaching in the temple in Jerusalem, which is one of the most popular and busiest places in all of the city. Probably the most busiest and popular place in the city. So there's hundreds of people listening to Jesus speak, and the Pharisees, they, they have this plan. They caught this woman in adultery, and their plan was to embarrass her and to use her against Jesus. The act of adultery was very serious and was a capital offense under Jewish law. Being caught in the act would basically sentence her to death. So this was no joke. This, this woman, she committed a serious offense under Jewish law. And basically her being caught will basically mean her death, mean her stoning. So I want, to, I want you to stop and, and think of something for a second. If they said they caught her in the act, right, the Pharisees caught her while committing adultery, then where's the man? Where's the man in all this? That Who was she committing adultery with? The same capital offense she committed in the law, the man did as well. So why wasn't he brought forth? Why was only one person brought forth in front of Jesus at the temple? I'll tell you why. 
It's because the Pharisees, they were so caught up in being right. And in their pride, they didn't even stop to realize that they were uh, only bringing one of the people who committed this sin. They were so focused and determined with, with just proving Jesus wrong and trying to trap him that they made a huge mistake. So the, they, they brought this lady just, to, just to, about proving Jesus wrong. I mean, I don't know how far they, they brought this lady just to, just to embarrass her and prove Jesus wrong, but that's all that mattered to them. That's all that mattered was proving Jesus wrong, making him look like the wrong one. So instead of hating what she did, they, in, they instead started hating who she was. They were so concerned with being right, they didn't even care with how they made the, this woman feel and how they treated her. They just wanted to use her as a tool to make Jesus look bad. And before we start pointing fingers at the Pharisees, and this is what we do. This is what we do. We get so angry with the sin that the person is committing, it bleeds into getting angry at the person. And instead of loving them, we begin to hate them. Instead of hating what they do, we instead start hating who they are. Right? And this is what was happening to the Pharisees. Is they, weren't, they were concerned with her committing adultery, but that wasn't their main concern. Their main concern was proving Jesus right, proving Jesus wrong. Right? They wanted to be right so bad. They made this woman, they embarrassed her, they threw her on the, the, the ground. They yelled at Jesus, said, this lady, this woman, she committed adultery. So everyone in the temple is staring at her. I mean, imagine us, right? We're in a circle. We're listening to someone preach, listening to Jesus preach, and someone just throws a, a woman in the middle, and they're yelling at her and saying that she committed adultery. She's grabbing a lot of attention, right? And I'm sure she's embarrassed. She's ashamed. She's guilty of what she's done. And this is what the Pharisees' goal was. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about the sin. They just wanted to prove Jesus wrong. We think we're the best assessors. It's not our job to assess where people are at their, uh, in their walk with Jesus or in life in general. So often we look at other people's sin before our own, and we try to judge their lives and what they're doing before even looking at ourselves. We're only concerned with being right instead of loving that person. All right, and we're going to learn deeper when we go into the story about more of this, that the Pharisees weren't concerned with their own sin. They only cared about this lady's sin, this woman's sin, and they wanted to use her as a tool against Jesus. So the Pharisees, they had one goal here, to stand right in front of Jesus and to win this conflict, this debate that they were in. They wanted Jesus to stay in front of everyone, either that she needed to be executed and if he said that, he would seem cruel or harsh for saying that, yes, yeah, she deserves to be stoned. Or they wanted Jesus to say, let her go. And then Jesus would basically be breaking the law of Moses according to these Pharisees. This was a lose-lose situation for Jesus, and that's exactly what the Pharisees wanted. So the point of all this is, is they, going into this, the Pharisees, they knew Jesus had two options. Either we let this lady walk, and you're breaking the law of Moses, because the law of Moses said, if she is committing adultery, if she is caught, she is to be stoned. So if Jesus said, I, I have forgiven your sins and, and lets her walk, man, the Pharisees would have a right to accuse him, to, he broke the law, and to throw him into prison. Or, 
The other thought they had was, man, Jesus is going to say, yes, let's do stone her. Let's do kill her. Let's punish her for what she's done. And then to all the people watching, Jesus would seem harsh or cruel. And so this was a lose-lose situation for Jesus in the, in the minds of the Pharisees. But let's go back and, and look at verse 6 again. And let's see Jesus' reaction. They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I want you to pay attention to this response by Jesus. This was a careful response. Instead of yelling right back, he stooped down. Jesus stooping down indicates humility. Jesus didn't react with anger. He didn't scream at the woman or the Pharisees who brought the woman. Jesus paused and he stooped down. Why is this important? Because stooping down, it's a low posture. Jesus was trying to relate with the humiliation of the woman. Instead of pointing fingers at her like everyone else was doing, he met her where she was at. How did Jesus show love and grace to the woman? He does it by relating with her in her low condition. He humbled himself by getting on the floor with her. Okay, so this lady, she's, she's thrown in the middle. She's thrown in the middle of the circle. Everyone's yelling at her. The Pharisees are yelling at Jesus, pointing her fingers, pointing their fingers at her. Instead of Jesus joining in, he stooped down, just like this. He stooped down. So I want you to imagine there's all these people around in a circle. All these people around in a circle. Jesus gets down. Right? He relates with the humiliation this woman is feeling. She's feeling ashamed. She's feeling guilty. And Jesus comes alongside of her. Instead of yelling, pointing fingers, judging her, man, he gets down next to her. Man, it's okay. I love you. I'm here for you. We're going to do this together. We're going to get through this together. Right? Because he had the right, because Jesus is perfect and never sinned, he had the right to accuse her and yell at her and judge her, but that's not what he did. He got on his knees. He stooped down, this low posture of humility. Right? He humbled himself by getting next to this woman. <clears throat> that's why it's so important, because Jesus had every right. He had every right to accuse this woman and judge her, but that's not what he did. He stooped down. He related with her. Not that Jesus has ever sinned, but he, he's relating with her low condition. He met her where she was at. This is often what we so often don't do. We never stoop down with the person that's hurting or stuck in sin. We act like the Pharisees and point fingers and judge the person. And this is the exact opposite of what Jesus wants. We need to stoop down with them in their hurting and relate to where we have messed up and where Jesus forgave us and saved us. Jesus didn't make people feel wrong. He made people feel loved. And that's so often what we don't do is maybe we have a friend, we see a friend who's hurting, who's stuck in sin. And instead of stooping down, meeting them where they're at, asking them, man, how can I pray for you? How can I help you in this situation? How can we go through this together? We judge. We point fingers. 
to be critical. I'm a pro at this. I'm a pro at this. I've done this many, many times before. Instead of coming alongside a friend, man, I'm like, man, I can't believe you just did that, man. How, How are you right now, how are you living this life of sin like I've never lived a life of sin before? Right, we, we, we act like we're holier than thou. Jesus didn't make people feel wrong. He made people feel loved. Verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again. So he was stooping down, he stood, he, he stood up, he said this, and then he, get, he got back down with her and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, only he was left with the woman and the sinner. So the Pharisees, they, they, keep, they kept pestering and pestering Jesus to find out what he's going to say, how he's going to react. Man, we're ready for him to get angry at us, ready for him to get, to get mad at us, but that's not what happened. Jesus stood up and said, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw the stone. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if none of you have sin, go ahead and throw the stone. If you guys are sinless, if you guys are perfect, go ahead. You can be the, you can be the first one to throw that stone. Pharisees were like, and walked out. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine what the, the Pharisees are thinking. This is not all what they planned for. Man, they planned, they walked in this temple, knowing in the back of their head, man, this is the day. This is the day we're going to get Jesus. This is the day we're going to make him wrong, and we're going to be right. Man, we're, he's going to be sent to jail. He's going to be accused. He's going to be put to death. This is the day. And that's not all what happened. Jesus called him out. He was right, but did it in a loving way by caring for the lady. It wasn't that the Pharisees haven't sinned before and had no right to be concerned about the woman's sin. It's that they planned and plotted her sin. They used her shame as a weapon against Jesus. It's okay for them to be concerned about this woman caught in adultery. That was kind of their job. But the way way they went about it was so opposite of what Jesus did. Of what Jesus did. Jesus, by by, by saying this, by telling the Pharisees, if you guys are perfect, you can throw the first stone. Jesus exposed the common sin that we all struggle with in here. Not just the Pharisees. The sin that we struggle with is a desire to punish the sins of others while ignoring our own sin. We love to do that. We love to assess people in their walk with Christ. Maybe we're, maybe we're farther along in our walk. That's great. Man, you don't need to look at other people and assess where they're at. Man, you've you got to be here, man. You've got to be here. You've got to be here up, uh, up with me. Hear this. When confronting sin, it's done with a forgiving and humble heart rather than with an angry and prideful heart. Man, when, when, when holding your brothers and sisters accountable, when bringing something to somebody's attention, that's okay. But man, doing it with an angry and prideful heart, that's not what Jesus wants. That's the attitude that I'm right. Whatever I say, whatever I do, I'm right. Man, he wants us to approach these, these situations, man, with a humble heart. 
with a humble heart and a forgiving heart, not with a prideful and angry one. I think a lot of times we think it's our job to convict people of sin. Again, I, I have made so many mistakes in this subject. That we think it's our job to convict people of their sin. But let me tell you, it's not. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and change hearts. But so often we go into these situations, we're trying to make them feel shameful. We're trying to make them feel guilty for what they're doing. You can't change somebody's heart. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, to change. It's not your job. And so often we do that we do think that it's ours. Don't miss this right here, that Jesus was the most right person who ever lived. He was sinless. He never made a mistake. He won every debate against the Pharisees he was in. He was the most right person who ever lived. But guess what? He was also the most non-judgmental. He was the most loving. And he was also the most humble person that ever lived. What does that tell us? What does that tell us? It tells us this, that we can be right, but we can also be loving. We can be right. We can also be not judgmental. That's what it's showing us. That's what he's showing us is, man, you can be right, but you don't have to approach the situation angry and prideful. We don't help people change by judging them, but by loving them. We don't help people change by judging them, but we do by loving them. You don't change a person's heart, but man, we can help them. And instead of judging that person for what they've done, man, we can come alongside. We can encourage. We can lift up. We can love. We can humble ourselves before them. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus had every right to look at this lady differently. Was he disappointed with her? Probably. Absolutely. She committed adultery. She turned her back on, on God. But man, that, that, that doesn't mean that Jesus was going to turn his back on her. It's okay to bring some, something to someone's attention. I'm not saying that it's not. It's important to, to hold your brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. That's why we encourage accountability partners, right? So you guys can, can keep each other accountable. But it is most important to do it in a loving and caring way. Because I have been on the end of yelling at people. Not yelling at people, but but being angry. Having a prideful heart uh, with my conversations with them. I've also been on the end of of doing it the right way, of, of humbling myself. And man, let me tell you, it's a night and day difference. Jesus wasn't concerned as much about winning the argument against the Pharisees and showing everyone that he was right as much as he was concerned with the woman's heart and how he showed love to her. We need to have that mindset. It's not about being right all the time. It's about how we love people. I'm going to say it again. Jesus doesn't call us to be right. He calls us to be loving. Jesus doesn't call us to be right. He calls us to be loving. Let's continue on in in these last couple verses. Verse 10. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. I like this version. It says, go now and leave your life of sin. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the lady felt in this situation? What do you think the, what do you think the woman felt in this situation? That she was humiliated. She was embarrassed. She was shameful. I promise you, she, she knew what she did wrong. She was guilty of her sin. She was convicted. Man, but Jesus, instead of joining everybody else and pointing fingers, man, he stoops down. He met her where she was at, even though she was in the wrong. Jesus showed love to her anyway. How would you feel if someone loved you like that? If you were stuck in a sin or committed and did something, I'm just going to say it's stupid. You did something stupid, you messed up. How would you feel instead of somebody judging you for what you've done? Man, loves you instead. Says, hey man, how can I come alongside of you? How can I be praying for you? How, how, how can we do this together? How can I keep you accountable going forward? In a sense, uh, Jesus took her guilt upon himself. Especially as he stooped down, he alone was without sin among them. He had the right to cast the first stone. Do you ever think about that? Is that? That's why Jesus said it, because he knows in the temple, nobody was perfect. No one has not committed a sin. He knew that he was the only person in the whole temple that actually had a right to throw a stone at her. He was the only one. But yet he was the most loving person in the whole room. Think about that. And he was the most loving person in the whole room. Jesus doesn't call us to be right. He calls us to be loving. He calls us to be loving. But isn't that the story of the gospel? That Jesus took our sin upon himself, even though he was perfect in every way. He took all of our sin upon his shoulders. He died the death that we deserve by hanging on the cross. And he did a similar thing to this lady. That she committed the sin. She was the one that was wrong. But God stooped down and met her where she was at. He took that humiliation upon himself. Because he wanted to love this woman. And guys, let me tell you, this is it. This is the love that Jesus shows us. So why can't we show this love to others? Especially when others don't deserve it. That's the huge thing here. It's easy to love somebody when they don't do anything wrong or do anything wrong against you. But man... The same way God loves us, the, the undeserving love that we don't deserve, he freely gives. And why can't we be like that to others? Why can't we show that kind of love to others? Even when they don't deserve it, man, we can still love them. We can still love them. And especially when others don't deserve it, because we don't deserve God's love. <laughs> we don't deserve God's love. But Jesus chooses to love us anyways. Sometimes we, we struggle with doing this. We struggle with loving people the way we're supposed to love them. It's one of the hardest things to do. But I want to show you why this happens and how we can get past it. When our heart is more concerned about I'm right, we have this cycle. We get, we get in this 
I'm right cycle. That first, we feel morally superior. Man, I'm the guy. I'm that guy. I'm right. I follow Jesus. You're wrong. You're living the wrong way. I'm living the right way. You think you're better than them. All right, we think of ourselves as smarter, closer to God, and just an upright, better person. Having this attitude, man, it leads us to be becoming judgmental. We start judging others because they're not acting the way that we act. We treat them different than God treats us. We start judging others' views and their actions. And all of this leads to us being easily angered and offended. All of this, it starts setting bitterness in our heart. We start getting angry. Remember what the Pharisees, they didn't care about the woman. They started hating the woman not because of what she did. They They didn't hate the sin, they hated the woman. And that's what we do. We become easily angered. We become easily offended. Now they're becoming judgmental. Oh, man, I can't believe they're, they're living this way. This is crazy. This is insane. I would never do that. See how that happens? Sadly, a lot of us get stuck in this cycle of always wanting to be right. We are so focused on knowing everything, of always being right. Then we are, of, instead of loving those who are different, who make mistakes, and who don't know God. Instead of showing them compassion, grace, and love, we just get angry with them. We get offended by their way of life. But we so often forget that we were once without God too. That we were once with our backs turned against God. The way we get out of this I'm right cycle is to humble ourselves and to ask for forgiveness. We have to remember that God's grace, it's a gift. And we're undeserving of that. We have to remember that we have been forgiven of all of our mistakes as long as we ask for it. We need to treat others in that way. You know how you get out of this cycle? The I'm right cycle, the I'm right attitude, mindset? Man, you humble yourself. You remember at one point in your life that you're, you were an enemy of God. But God brought you into his family when you asked for him to save you. The Bible says, why, um, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, this is what we have to do. We have to remember that. So what if instead of thinking I'm right, we started thinking I'm forgiven? And we, we begin this I'm forgiven cycle because when we start with this attitude, we feel profound gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done for us, that he has forgiven us. Right? When we start to feel this gratitude, it will lead to us becoming more accepting. And this isn't more accepting of people's sin. Okay, it's more accepting of, hey, I've done that before. I'm with you. I've made that mistake. There's a lot of times we act like we've never sinned. We've never made a mistake. Again, I'm a pro at that. I've made that mistake before. And we want to be in this I'm forgiving cycle and and becoming more accepting, more accepting of that person in our life because we recognize we were there too. And all leads to this. With this as our attitude, we will be overflowing with love. 
We will no longer feel morally superior than those that, that are wrong, but we will be overflowing with love towards them. When we have an attitude of I'm forgiven, we will be filled with love, with grace and forgiveness. Instead of being right, we can be humble. We can be loving. We can still share the truth, but we can do it in an effective way. Man, so as you leave here tonight, man, what cycle are you in? Because I bet a lot of us are in that I'm right cycle. I bet a lot of us are in that I'm right cycle. And man, we feel like we are God's greatest gift to earth. So man, as you leave tonight, as you go into small groups and talk, man, be honest. We all struggle with the sin of pride. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Taking the place that on the cross that we deserve. God, he humbled himself like a lamb being led to the slaughter. God, he went to the cross for us, the death that we deserve. God, so I, I want to thank you for your son Jesus. As we leave tonight, man, let us be like your son. Let us be more like you. That we don't want to approach people with a prideful and angry heart, but a loving and a forgiving heart. That, God, you humbled yourself before men so we, we could be lifted up. Help us meet people where they are instead of pointing fingers and judging. God, we love you. And we thank you for everything you're doing. Jesus, and I pray. Amen.